2: This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSN, the sports betting network.
4: Sharp Money is live on your Tuesday, live from Bar Canada at the D in downtown Las Vegas. I'm Ben Wilson, in for Patrick today. Amal Shaw's here. Dustin Sweetelson, our producer, is here. And oh boy, Amal, do we have a lot to get to in the National Football League. John Scott, Spectrum News One, Buffalo Bills reporter, joins us in a half hour because that's where we begin. Buffalo, Amal, is now two to one to make the playoffs. Eight and a half is the in-season win total. Just fire the OC, Ken Dorsey. Are you in total sell-off now of Buffalo? Or there's still some redeeming qualities left for this team?
5: It doesn't appear to be a lot. Four turnovers yesterday against any other team that's competent offensively. They would have gotten blown out. You look at this Denver team. They started the ball at an average drive margin of at their own 39-yard line. To only come out of this game with a one-point win really is more of an indictment of the Denver Broncos' offense. To me, when you look at this Denver team, they had to get the ball more to Javante Williams. He was tremendous in the last drive. Russell Wilson wasn't bad. He's gotten a lot of criticism. Dustin pointed it out a few weeks ago. He goes, look at Russell's numbers. They're far better than you thought. By the way, um, the North Florida Ospreys couldn't hit water if they fell off a boat last night. But I can tell you one thing. Russell Wilson didn't throw a pick either. And he doesn't generally throw a lot of picks. You go back to his freshman year at NC State, 16 touchdowns, one INT. His season at Wisconsin, I think he was 33-5 and five in terms of numbers. He's not a guy – he's had two double-digit interception seasons in his career. His accuracy is generally very good. He had a couple of errant throws yesterday, but nothing in the sense that you felt like was going to get picked off.
4: And Quickly on the Broncos before we do the deep dive into the Bills, is it just a classic case of every single year, Maul, you get a team that looks so bad out of the gates, first two, three weeks – That we forget is a collective betting community, the season in the NFL 17 games, no team outside of, say, the 08 Detroit Lions or the Hugh Jackson like Cleveland Browns a few years ago is actually that horrific all season and that maybe we just said, okay, time to forget about the Broncos. They're done way, way too prematurely. It seems like that's the case to me.
5: Yeah, I didn't think Denver was going to be where they are right now. I didn't think they were that good of a team. I thought Russell Wilson was done. I was wrong on that. Sean Payton's done a better job with him. They've had some injuries. The offensive line play has been bad. I mean, that's an understatement. But you're absolutely right, Ben. Four and five. I mean, the Bengals are five and four. The Texans are five and four. You've got a glut of teams. The Chargers at four and five. The Jets at four and five. So there's an opportunity here. This thing is far from over. I think they're a lot more competitive than they've been early in the season. You look at some of the losses for certain teams, you go, boy, if they could have gotten that Washington win or win here or there, things would be very, very different for a lot of these teams right now. You can say that. You're right, about
4: maybe half the league. Five and a half to one right now, the Broncos to make the playoffs at this juncture. But you look at where Buffalo was going to go after last night, started in the postgame press conference with head coach Sean McDermott, had a couple interesting things right out of the chute in his postgame press conference. We'll fire up clip number one from Coach McDermott after that 24-22 loss last night.
6: I don't think everything we're doing is wrong. Um, There's some good football being played and, and some good football being coached. Um, that said, um, it needs to be better. And um, you can't turn the ball over and you can't start by giving the team their starting field position at the minus 40-yard line. That's that's not how you win in this league. So um, we've got to play better and move the football, score points on a more consistent basis. And then and then the special teams piece has to factor in as far as field position and covering kicks, covering punts. Um, and certainly I'm not turning a blind eye to the defense. There's things we can do better there as well.
4: well Sean McDermott says uh, there's some good coaching in there. I don't think he maybe was including O.C. Ken Dorsey in that. And he follows up that comment when he's asked, does something drastic have to be done? Here was McDermott's response.
6: I think, you know, I, I need a little bit of time here just after the game to to assess that. Um, obviously, I'm not real happy right now, so um, you know, I'll evaluate that and in and, um, over the next 24 hours here and, and see where it takes us. What's well, your the confident field position? Position. I'm confident, um, but I believe we can be better at the same time.
4: All right, thanks for telling us how you really feel, Sean. And then a few hours later, I'm all. Gone is the OC Ken Dorsey. Is this just a classic case of Dorsey, the obvious scapegoat, or is he deserving of getting canned here?
5: No, I think he's a scapegoat. I think the one thing that needs to be looked at very seriously is Josh Allen's a turnover machine. I think until we start to realize that Josh Allen is no longer a top five quarterback in this league, then you can reevaluate Buffalo more accurately. I mean, you cannot have a quarterback that what is that? His fifth consecutive game with an INT. I mean, it's just unbelievable in terms of what he does in terms of turning the football over. Sixth, right? I mean, this is unbelievable, Dustin. With that quick
7: thumbs up, I like that. And
5: Dustin's all over
7: it. Well, I was gonna say, I mean, I know they fired Ken Dorsey, but they probably should have fired the defensive coordinator because you know who it is, Sean McDermott. It's Sean yeah, McDermott, right now. No, I right now. But no, I'll tell
5: you, what, they should have fired a special teams coach. How do you have twelve guys out on the most important play of the game? That's also kind well, they of. They had big the wrong
7: issue. personnel on the field before that is the issue. They were in dime. They were in dime, which they didn't need to be because they were only going to have kneel downs the rest of the game. And with that, there was a, a change in personnel, and they were late to the party.
4: Uh, this is actually a really good – glad I'm with you here today, Maul. For just the in-game clock management standpoint of this, want your take. Because Buffalo, there was, what, 25 seconds on the clock when the Bills take their second of three timeouts. Clearly trying to prevent Denver from running the clock all the way down. But what Buffalo did by calling the two timeouts back-to-back, you basically forced Denver – into automatically going for the, all right, let's take the knee, have plenty of time to get our field goal unit out there. They had a full 20 seconds, really, to get everything set up. Would you have played that any different if you're Sean McDermott?
5: Not really. I mean, they were in a tough spot, right? They had two timeouts remaining. They didn't have three. So you were going to be in a situation where all you were going to do is allow them to get more yardage. And so, I mean, look, once the P.I. was called, it came down to whether Will Lutz was going to make it. When he misses the first kick, I'm like, he's automatic on the second one. He's too good oh, of a kicker. Yeah. Right. You get a bad kick on the first one. A player like him, he's not an inexperienced guy. I mean, he had a cannon in New Orleans. That's why you know, Sean Payton was more than happy to bring him in. And so you knew he was going to make that second one. I just don't think you can make that mistake. You've got to be aware of how many players are on the field at that point in time. That's the only thing you're looking to do. You're, you're not going to realistically probably block that kick. Yeah. 41 yards is just a standard kick in the National Football League. And missed opportunity there. Um, I thought Buffalo was trying to do an effective job when they got the ball down there and they basically had uh Josh Allen run after the first down play. They'd taken some time off the clock. It, it was a tough scenario. It, the problem is the defense got to make a play. I like the blitz call the PI unfortunately beat them. And I'll tell you, Troy Aikman made a great point. He goes, Jerry Judy didn't come back to the ball hard enough. It wasn't as egregious of a P.I. call as it would appear, but it was still definitely an interference. The the
4: one, I guess, alternative you could have done if you're Buffalo, you let the clock run to, say, 14 seconds. Then you take the timeout. You're basically forcing Denver. Because at 14 seconds, that's really hard to go, all right, let's take the kneel down, do the fire drill. Get they're not going to
5: kneel down. What they're going to do is they're going to snap the ball. And he's going to throw it out of bounds.
4: At least force, you at least force them to do something different, though. Than the I would argue the fire drill, as much as we think that's a hard play, it's really, it's really simple when you've got that much time.
5: I, I can appreciate what you're saying, but the reason why I'd rather have them do it on the kneel down than a throw out of bounds, because number one, the clock has stopped, so they got a full 40 seconds. In this case, yeah. they don't have a full 40 seconds. And one other thing that could happen that doesn't happen on an incomplete pass in all likelihood, if you have a false start, you're going to wind up with a 10-second runoff, the game's over.
4: Yeah. That, no, that's totally fair. I think it's just worth the discussion because yes. these are the deep divey things. I like your perspective on them all.
2: Thank you. We always
5: talk get it about clock management when we, get, yes. when we get together on it. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. But to me... The one concern that I always have when you're rushing teams on and off special teams, you could wind up with a false start, and that 10-second runoff is the difference between winning or losing the game, but it reverts back to what was a running clock on the previous play, and on an incompletion, yeah. you wouldn't have that. That's the only thing I could think that could prevent potentially Buffalo from being in that scenario.
4: Okay, on the Buffalo offensive side, you fire O.C. Ken Dorsey. Am I not crazy for thinking that amidst this current generation of quarterbacks in which we always do the whole media comp thing, And when Patrick Mahomes for Kansas City was coming up, everybody wanted to say, all right, this is the new Brett Favre, gunslinger. Guy's got a cannon, can throw it the length of the field. Is it Josh Allen, the obvious of this current crop of quarterbacks, a current crop that at least among the elite level has gotten so much better at protecting the football, not giving the ball away? Allen is this generation's Favre. You have no idea when he's going to kill you with a horrifically timed turnover 13 now leads the entire NFL 11 picks this season. Well,
5: a couple things with Josh Allen, first of all. I, I think he's a very good quarterback overall. I never thought he was great, but I thought he became elite when Stephon Diggs arrived in 2020. Stephon Diggs had three 100-yard seasons, 1,200 yards or more in three consecutive years. He's been the difference maker. They haven't been able to get him the ball throughout the last four games. Dalton Schultz, Schultz has been the leading receiver on this team. Um, as good as you mentioned, the comparison is between Favre and Allen because the turnovers. The one thing I would look at when I uh, when I sit there and I point to um, Brett Favre is he just seemed like he could make the big play when it matters most. Um, you know he obviously had the turnovers as well. He had a ton of. Them. I mean, twice he led the NFL. With, I mean, in tw- two thousand five, Brett Favre had twenty nine ints. How do you have twenty nine interceptions? Justin, do you remember that 05 Packers team? They were Donald Driver.
4: Yes, yeah. they were. Well, he was on a lot of those teams. But the, that, that team, that okay. Here's how bad the 2005 Packers were. They went to Baltimore on a Monday night when the Ravens were starting Kyle Bowler and were just a, just an average, standard, mediocre team. Green Bay lost 48-3. to It's the biggest blowout in modern Monday night history.
7: <laughs> and, and that was uh, Rodgers' debut as a rookie. I'd say off the field, Josh Allen reminds me of Brett Favre more because he's a complete fraud.
4: Oh, you're going there. You don't see Josh Allen in any Wrangler commercials, though.
5: I mean, Well, they're trying to sell jeans not to get people to not look, to buy the product. Look,
7: do we have to have a discussion <laughs> in Buffalo about the fact that, look, uh, Patrick, who's not here today, has been saying he wants Ben Johnson to stay with the Lions, them to let Dan Campbell go if they're going to lose their O.C.? Is there a case to be made that losing Brian Dable, you lost the only semblance of Josh Allen being an NFL like top-tier quarterback? You can make that argument but then what the hell is Brian Dayball doing with Daniel Jones, uh, Tommy DeVito and Tyrod Taylor? Hold on. You could we could literally take all three of their DNA and combine it together <laughs> in a lab and it wouldn't come close to the skills that Josh Allen has. I think that the frustrating part about Josh Allen for me is that it's all there. The hey. most one of the most unique skill sets we've ever seen and the thing we can't fix is that he has this over-belief in his huge arm to make throws yes. that he can't make.
5: I, I think that's a great point, but I'll just counter with this. My team's not dumb enough to sign Daniel Jones for four for 160. Well, no. Dude, look at the contract. Everyone
7: keeps saying this. I, I, they can get out of the contract after, after year two, two years. Yeah, why would I pay a guy $80 million when he's worth about $8 million? Uh Because he has a bad neck, and his bad neck's going to lead to Caleb Williams. Well, I, I, do now think now that's gonna... really forward-thinking, Dustin. Do you, <laughs> if, if you're going, op- if you're going that far, yeah. If he's so bad, you're going to get a top pick. Dustin, I mean, if he's Dustin good, you're going to chess all the entire...
4: The entire fraternity of NFL GMs are all just playing checkers, apparently. I don't know what Dustin's doing sitting here though.
5: I I just I my know. thing is this, I think what Washington did was actually a good example of what you should do. You should franchise quarterbacks that you don't think are truly franchise quarterbacks.
4: Sure. Let's flip this forward though because Buffalo, season totally on the line, laying seven against the New York
5: Jets. Well that's fine, but here's week. the thing. Why are you cool. finding Dorsey, they're averaging 26.2 points per game. He's not the problem. Clearly
4: not. We'll talk about that when we return. Sharp money underway on your Tuesday
1: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
8: AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. That's oracle.com slash strategic oracle.com slash strategic.
2: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer, Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, kane velasquez salacious super bowl level scandals join me on the dark side of sports by listening to playing dirty sports scandals on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
3: this is sharp
2: money with patrick maher and amal shaw on the sports betting network.
4: With so many games on the board, there's no better time to put the VSEN experts to work for you. Become a VSEN Pro subscriber today and get access to our daily best bets with a leaderboard to see which VSEN expert has the hot hand, betting splits to show you where the money and bets are moving for every game, plus betting systems, premium analysis, and 24/7 video access. Sign up today and get your first 30 days for only 19 bucks to see everything VSEN has to up your betting game. Visit VSEN.com/slash-subscribe to sign up. Now, another break, another uh, producer Dustin Sweetelson moment of all, just ripping things that we love. Ripping tennis, that's the latest thing. Come on, Dustin. ATP Finals going on right now. We'll we'll check in with them all in a few minutes to see if he's got anything live with the uh, Novak Djokovic match underway against Yannick Center. Right now that we want to continue the Buffalo Bills discussion as we go out to Buffalo right now, welcome in John Scott from Spectrum News 1 in Buffalo. Uh, He'll be talking with head coach Sean McDermott here in a little bit. So uh, thanks for giving us some time. Before you jump on the line with Coach McDermott, uh, your first reaction, though, to the firing of OC Ken Dorsey, surprised that he was the guy chosen to be the the fall man for this latest struggle of Buffalo, or was this to be expected?
9: A LITTLE BIT OF BOTH. I DON'T, EXCUSE ME, MEAN TO DO A COP-OUT, BUT LAST NIGHT'S PERFORMANCE, I PUT FAR MORE ON THE PLAYERS. JUST POOR EXECUTION, TURNOVERS, DROPPED PASSES, FUMBLES, 12 MEN ON THE FIELD, WHICH ISN'T EVEN AN OFFENSIVE ISSUE. IT ULTIMATELY, THOUGH, IF YOU LOOK AT THE ENTIRE BODY OF WORK, EXCUSE ME. SORRY ABOUT THAT. YOU LOOK AT THE ENTIRE BODY OF WORK OF KEN DORSEY IN A YEAR AND A HALF, AND ESPECIALLY THIS PAST SIX-GAME STRETCH. It just hasn't been good enough. And a lot of that, I think, is reasonable to put on the coaching staff.
5: John, is it just the lack of consistency game to game? Because this is a team that averaged 28.4 points per game last year, averaging 26.2 points per game this year. From a scoring standpoint, just on the surface, looking at it, it doesn't seem like an alarming issue over 26, uh, 27 games. But is it just more than that in terms of the play calling? Because you follow the team very closely.
9: So the back half of last season, while the numbers statistically had them arguably the best offense in all of football, it just didn't look right. It didn't feel right. It looked like and felt like such a struggle. And even though the results were not necessarily indicating that, going into this past offseason, there was a lot of conversation of Ken Dorsey needs to be a better offensive coordinator. He needs to be a better play caller. You didn't see it against the Jets in the opener, but the next three games, and in particular, putting up 48 on the Dolphins at home October 1st, you're like, okay, They're humming again. Dorsey is doing what he needs to do. And ever since then, they went to London. They came back six games. It's been a struggle, a mighty, mighty struggle. You say they're averaging over 26 points a game. They haven't hit that mark over the last six games. Josh Allen has regressed. His decision-making has regressed. They seem very predictable. They have far too many three-and-outs. It's bland. It's plain. Nothing that the Buffalo Bills' offensive old looked like and felt like and was producing like has been seen for the past month and a half, and and that's why I say I wasn't surprised that Ken Dorsey ultimately was the one to go.
4: Ken, John Scott joining us right now. Give him a follow at John Scott as we're talking Buffalo Bills right now. So often when you see a midseason coordinator firing, it means the head coach understands, okay, seat's starting to get warm. Just how hot do you think the seat is now for the head coach of the Bills, Sean McDermott?
9: I know from an outside perspective, pitchforks and – Uh, torches and everything like that. The fan base is starting to get really, really unsettled. It started with 13 seconds, that crazy ending to the Chiefs playoff game a few years ago. Then they lost in basically getting dominated by the Bengals in the postseason, the divisional round last year. now they're five and five at the midway point and really a long shot to make the playoffs. So, The noise is getting louder. Internally, though, I believe that Sean McDermott is absolutely safe going into next season. He signed a contract extension that coincides with general manager Brandon Bean this past summer. And listen, Terry Pagula owns the Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Sabres. And since he took over those franchises, there's been a lot of turnover at the top with both. Sean McDermott has been the most stabilizing force that the owner Pagula has dealt with in either franchise. So to me, it's going to take a lot to disrupt things and go back to the way it used to be, looking for a new head coach. It's something that has not necessarily been a forte of Pagula in terms of evaluating. He got lucky with McDermott. He then brought in his people to make this successful. So I think 2024 is when I believe the conversation really can ramp up in terms of, is Sean McDermott playing for his job?
5: On behalf of people in Las Vegas here, we thank you for Jack Eichel. Uh, (laughs) Also, I want to mention, you mentioned Joe Brady is going to be the new O.C. i got to be honest with you. I'm not thrilled about this from a Buffalo standpoint. He's the quarterback's coach there the last couple of years. was the O.C. in Carolina in 20 and 21. Gets fired by Matt Rule halfway through the season. From your
9: perspective of covering the team, how much of a positive impact do you believe he'll have? It's interesting because we don't really know much about Joe Brady. We haven't heard much from Joe Brady since he – was named quarterback's coach before last season. We haven't really seen a whole lot of him. He's out there in the practice field. He's working with Josh Allen. Haven't seen a whole lot of interaction or communication from what our vantage point is between Ken Dorsey and Joe Brady. So I don't honestly know exactly what to expect. We know his track record that's really heavily rooted in that magnificent historic run with Joe Burrow and LSU a few years ago in college. We know it didn't really work out in a very talent deficient Carolina position that he was in a couple years ago. So I don't really know. I also really don't know what anyone at this point in the season, 10 games in can do to an offense midseason. I don't think it's realistic for him to change a whole lot of things because there's a lot of pieces that then have to change as well. You just need to really maybe take what. The system was with Brian Dable that Ken Dorsey kind of carried over, fine tune it, and maybe lean more into what has been proven to be successful, and what Josh Allen and the other offensive players are most comfortable with.
4: It's sharp money here on VEASAN talking Buffalo Bills with John Scott. We were mentioning earlier, John, how Buffalo now 2-1 to one to make the playoffs, by far the longest odds they've had since the season got underway. So much of the focus, though, is on offense. How do you see any defensive improvement happening? A team that was top five against the run, top 12 against the pass last year, now below league average in both categories with two key starters, Matt Milano and Trey White now out injured.
9: And Daquan Jones also on the defensive line. I think he's an under-the-radar guy that maybe people outside of Buffalo don't realize how impactful he truly is and makes the rest of that entire front four really hum. They also, Micah Hyde, starting safety, was out. Christian Benford, starting cornerback, was out last night. Only two guys in that entire defense have not missed time this season due to injuries. I actually think while the statistics aren't up to the standard of the past that we've seen from this Bills defense, Considering all the injuries and the guys they've lost and the guys that they're playing right now, I think Sean McDermott, that's the defensive play caller and that unit as a whole, has done one heck of an admirable job to keep them in football games. They did not lose last night to the Denver Broncos because of the defense. I know they allowed that touchdown and get them in position late in the football game, but they did enough that the offense didn't pull their weight. Same thing. Same thing can go for a couple other weeks during this six game stretch here. So defensively, they're not going to be the top tier unit considering the guys that they've lost, but I think they have done a great job considering the circumstances. And so I think they've been put in good positions. They've had good coaching and they still have some good players out there that they have done what they need to do to this point to keep the bills in terms of winning. They're facing some (laughs) high powered offenses though down the stretch. When you look at this team right
5: now and the rest of the AFC, they dominate against uh, the Miami Dolphins. They're still going to have an opportunity for a rematch later in the season. Is it out of the question to say they can still win the division despite where they are at the standings 5-5? Five and five? Miami right now to win the East is minus 450. And you saw that game. What out of Miami against any competent team like Buffalo or anyone better than Buffalo have they shown us that makes the Miami Dolphins such a prohibitive favorite?
9: Well... Good thing for the Dolphins, then their schedule doesn't put them (laughs) up against a lot of the teams that are above 500 that they appear to not play up to their standard against. The Bills, on the contrary, though, they have the Eagles, they have the Chiefs, they have the Cowboys, they have the Chargers, and then they have the Dolphins as well. That's five of their final seven games here, including also upcoming a Jets team that beat them in the opener and also beat them last year, both with Zach Wilson at the quarterback spot. Long shot is exactly where the Buffalo Bills should be in terms of making the postseason, but the AFC East is the only way that that is going to happen. Impossible? I don't believe so, especially with the game in hand and the last one in Week 18 against the Miami Dolphins. But it's going to be a tall task because they're going to have to beat teams that they're going to be underdogs against, and and the, that's a spot the Bills have not been in much recently. Yeah, Bills
4: four to one now to win the AFC East. I mentioned two to one there to make the playoffs. John, before we let you go, you have the rematch this week. Hosting the Jets, seven-point favorites market-wide. What's the edge if there is one in the Bills-Jets rematch?
9: I got to tell you, I said it on my podcast after the game last night. I don't know how you could be confident the Bills could beat anybody at this point, regardless of what their, their opponent has looked like coming into the game. I know what Zach Wilson is. I know what that offense is. They're not that much different than the offense the Bills faced week one, and they still lost that football game because the Bills have been beating themselves. We'll see if this coaching change at the coordinator spot gives them a jolt. Maybe it refocuses them. Maybe they find their way a bit to play a little bit better and more like the Bills offense we've grown accustomed to. But Robert Sala and that Jets defense has given Josh Allen issues, even if they've won the football game last year. It's going to be a tall task. I think the Bills could win the football game because I just think they're a better football team. But it's going to probably be another tough slide in the way it's been. For the majority of this season, now laying seven with a total
4: of 40. Check John out on the Buffalo Endzone podcast, as well as Spectrum News One in Buffalo at John Scott TV. Really appreciate the time, John. Thanks again. Hey, thanks, guys. Thank you. We will get into more Week 11 NFL topics. Amal Shaw brought up the Houston Texans in our last segment. I want to get his thoughts now if the Texans are laying the biggest number they have laid all season. We'll dive into that as we return right here on the Tuesday edition of Sharp Money.
2: This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSN the Sports Betting Network.
4: It is our number two of Sharp Money Live from downtown Las Vegas, Bar Canada at the D. I'm Ben Wilson, in for Patrick. Amal Shaw's here, Dustin Sweetelson, our producer as well. And we get to kickstart the hour with a little college football talk, a lot happening in the SEC. So we welcome in our pal Brooks Austin. Once again, great to have Brooks back, SI Fan Nations director of Cruton. And let's start with what's going on in the conference before we get to Georgia, a team you cover pretty closely here, Brooks. Head coach Jimbo Fisher, he's, uh, he's out at AM. You just posted a video about this. What do you feel about where the AM job is at now that all these coaches, Dabo Swinney, getting and, and the like getting asked about that opening at AM?
0: Dude, I just went through the, the football history on uh, stats reference. Did you know that in 121 years of college football history, Texas A&M has 12 10-win seasons? They, they average 10 wins once every decade. This is not like one of these historically great jobs it's just one of these jobs that's in like invested in at a historical rate their fan base you know to their heart you know great on them they support that football program like they win national titles every year and the honest fact of the matter is they just don't and i don't know what it is about that football program but over 121 years, as soon as they have a good football coach, the guy either retires for 25 years, goes to win on a national title like Gene Stalin's at Alabama, or Alabama just steals them like they did Bear Bryant. So I don't know why everyone goes out with the take-up. This is a great job because, yes, they will pay you a bunch of money. But when you're done, you either go somewhere else to win or you just don't go anywhere else. So I, I don't know who they ultimately end up hiring because – Everybody in their mama has already said, no, it ain't going to be me. I ain't going there.
5: Uh, Brooks, you know, listen, you bring great knowledge on in this show, but I, I'm going to object to a couple of things you said. First of all, I lived in the Lone Star State for a dozen years, so I know all about that cult down in College Station. Second of all, this is a program that won a re- national title fairly recently, 84 years ago. They finished <laughs> in the top four once in that time. Once, folks, 2020. That was the last time they finished in the top five in the college football rankings. Brooks is absolutely right. These people think they're Alabama, Oklahoma, USC, or whomever else you want to throw into the mix. And the reality of it is they're one step above Texas Tech. They can't get that through their heads, and they seem to think they can go get Dan Lanning or anybody else. Why would you want that? Unless you just sit there and say, listen, I'm here for the money grab. I'm not even going to coach. Just fire me. I signed the contract.
0: I, I, you know, I, I talked about it last night. I, why wouldn't they go hire a, a football coach like Jed Fish? Like yep. all these other names that keep getting thrown out there, these are flashy names that you're going to have to pay or put $20 million a year in front of. And then guess what? You're probably going to be in a very similar situation because if he just has one good year like Jimbo Fisher did, you're going to tie yourself down to another decade of him. I thought that was one of the, the bigger you know mistakes that's been overlooked in the last couple of days. Yep. Everybody's laughing at the $76 million that they're giving him. Guys, they signed up for another 10 years of this 30 months ago. Like this was this was a colossal uh you know group of decisions that ultimately ended up in $76 million worth of failure that comes directly out of their fan base's pocket. I know we, we talk about their fan base's expectations, but dude, if I was giving that kind of money to a football program, by God, they better be winning or else I'm gonna be upset. But I don't think it's necessarily their fan base's problem. It's this is a uh, a history of bad decision making from the athletic department. It seems like out there at Texas A&M.
5: No question. I don't know how Bork still has a job there. It's shocking to me that he's still employed. Mm -hmm. This was a bad hire to begin with. Look at the cupboard that was left at Florida State, Brooks. I want to go to a game on Rocky Top on Saturday, a rivalry game here between Tennessee and Georgia. I don't think Josh Heupel knows Georgia as well as you do. You had a tremendous breakdown last week in terms of Ole Miss (laughs) and the fact that they wouldn't bring their offense with them out out of the first quarter to Athens. Now, the dogs are only laying 10 and a half. I don't know what the odds maker's problem is, but I'm going to tell you right now, this is an unload the clip on the dogs here. Are you kidding me? Joe Milton, this guy can overthrow a country by himself. He's only getting 10 and a half in this spot. Dogs all day on rocky top. Break it down for us.
0: Hey, dude, I, I like the enthusiasm, first of all, but I think what Vegas is doing there is, is doing a very similar home road split that Ole Miss shows. This defense doesn't even travel on the road this year for Tennessee. They've they played relatively well. They've become a, a run-based, defensive-based football program under Josh Heupel, something that I don't think a lot of people probably would have expected out of this Tennessee football program coming into the season or let alone coming into the Josh Heupel regime down there at Tennessee. So... I do think Vegas is doing the, well, they got the home field advantage. I would imagine that's worth about three and a half, maybe four points out there in Vegas, being up there in Nealon Stadium, Uh, and that being a 330 CBS football game, it's always going to be highly anticipated. But, man, I'm, I'm with you. Kirby Smart has kind of, like, stamped his flag, Baker Mayfield style, in the middle of Neyland Stadium and said, hey, look, man, we're not afraid to come up here, and we're not afraid to jump on you very, very early. The last two times Georgia's been out uh, at Neyland Stadium, you know, they've kind of left the first quarter with 21-0, 21-7 leads and kind of jumped out on that football team on the road. I expect a relatively similar game plan, a relatively similar level of execution, from this Georgia football team, the only thing that would hold me from that kind of uh, you know thought process is Tennessee is a man blitz football team. They like to play a lot of man coverage, send a lot of pressure. The only two other football teams this year that have kind of showed that same game plan against Georgia were South Carolina um, and uh, Missouri. And those two football teams have held Georgia under 30 points. The only teams to do so. This year, So they have a relatively similar game plan to the ones that have kind of been able to play with Georgia within a couple of scores. But I'm with you just way too much talent right now and way too much of a one dimensional football team from Tennessee that's relying way too heavily on running the football against a program in Georgia who, let's be honest, you just don't run the football against them unless that's your entire game plan that day. We're just going to run the ball a la Auburn this year.
5: Ben, Hendon, Hooker, Darnell, Wright, Jalen High are not walking through that door.
0: No, they Pipel's are not. in trouble. Oh, they are not. Ten, you
4: can still find tens out there in the market. Circuit and DraftKings have gone to Georgia minus ten and a half. First half spread, too. Brooks, you're talking about that angle coming out immediately, planting the flag, looking good for the, the dogs on the road. Six and a half is what you'd have to lay for Georgia in that spot. And especially with the, the tight end, uh, Brock, Bowers now back into the fold. You saw Georgia put up the 50-burger against uh, Ole Miss. Are you feeling at this point, Brooks, like it's 100% back with Bowers in the fold, and this is an offense now that is reaching its peak better than what we've seen so far this year?
0: You know, honestly, as a, as a route runner, he looked like himself on Saturday. It was the, the other, like, fighting to finish blocks. You know, he's become kind of a really, really physical finisher uh, in terms of blocking as a tight end, particularly in space against smaller defensive backs I didn't quite see that on tape this weekend as you would imagine probably trying to protect his feet when he's out there in space not as a a a primary ball carrier Um, but no in terms of you know his ability and whether or not he's guardable no that that dude was himself on Saturday or at least 90% of himself and 90% of Brock Bauer still isn't getting covered in college football I don't believe um, by anybody. I, I, I would have to go all the way back to maybe Justin Simmons, like Clemson days, all the way back there where you have this like six five, two hundred and thirty pound hybrid safety linebacker. That's about the only like combination of human that I think is both big enough and physical enough and fast enough to cover what is uh, an alien, it seems like, in Brock Bowers.
5: I I love that comp. I'll give you one name, I think, in college football. The only guy that can cover him is Gentry out of USC. 6'5", 6'6", tremendous Mm. range, wingspan of about 8 feet. He'll be a guy that gets drafted in the first 45. Want to shift ahead to the SEC title game in Atlanta. The matchup is set now. Georgia-Alabama. Assuming there are no injuries in Alabama, scrimmage on Saturday against Chattanooga and then down in um, the Iron Bowl down in Auburn, when you look at these two teams right now, Alabama comes in as a four-point underdog line, opened at three, Brooks going to four. Milrose playing a lot better. But is Alabama offensively good enough and consistent enough against this dog's defense to be able to put up enough points? Because I still think Georgia's going to be able to score on Alabama.
0: You know, as early as probably two weeks ago, I would have said no. Um, But watching the way that they, they executed on third down, I believe at one point in that football game against LSU, they were 10 of 12 on third down. So that tells me, like, as an offense, you're highly efficient, not just running the football and playing bully ball like we thought Alabama was going to do, but throwing the football as well. They've developed and kind of settled into what Jalen Milrow's passing attack should ultimately be. But this past weekend, I was really, really impressed. Say what you want about Kentucky. That was an 11 o'clock local start. Jalen Milrow takes a a hit pointer in the first drive of the series. And next thing I know, I look up there, up 28 to nothing. And you ask how well. The first three possessions they scored uh, touchdowns on, that was all Jalen Milrow throwing the football, and and the last drive, yeah, they got a touchdown due to a short field and some turnovers, but that's kind of who this Alabama football team is this year, because say what you want about them, and say what you want about Nick Saban, and whatever, you know, the Texas game looked rough, UCF game, or USF game looks rough. This defense is as good as any defense that, you know, Nick Saban's had, in my opinion, particularly because of what they can do at the corner spot. They play man coverage as well as anybody in the sport right now because they have two first-round corners in Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terry on Arnold um, who are absolutely locking things up out there. So it makes things really congested, separates the timing for most offenses. Um, So I I do worry about that. That that offense is absolutely peaking at the right time. Um, But, you know, that leads me to believe, hey, it might be a shootout in the SEC championship game, or you know, maybe it's an offensive-led football game. In that case, I'm pretty much leaning on Georgia in any matchup this year. I think offensively, if they want to, if they want to crank it up, they can be as efficient as explosive as any uh, team in the sport right now. Just based off what they're putting on film, there's really no answers to how to stop them now that they're fully healthy.
4: Circa has already posted that number, just posted it the other day, Brooks. Georgia laying 3.5, Your year total for Georgia mm-hmm. and Alabama. Real quick before we hit a break here, it's college football win total season. I'm sweating out this Kentucky over 6.5 wins ticket there at 6. laying a short number at South Carolina this week. How do you see that game playing out?
0: Oh, that's at South Carolina. Shane Beamer's yeah. coaching for his footless job or his shoeless job <laughs> out there yeah. um, at South Carolina. Um, so I would probably take them, but then again, Mark Stoops has made a six and a half million dollar annual salary off beating the bottom end of the SEC. So if Mark Stoops wants to keep the momentum rolling up there at Kentucky and keep that, you know, buyout outside of the, the the discussions for their booster club, this might be a football game he wants to win. Because if you're losing to less than 500 football teams, uh, then you aren't Mark Stoops at Kentucky. You're just the Kentucky football program that's not living up to standards, which are beat the bottom dwellers yeah. that's the standard for Kentucky. I
4: was all I say.
0: Midnight Madness is already here so.
5: Uh, listen I was uh, talking with uh, Austin <laughs> I mean with Brooks during the uh, commercial break and I said why the hell does Mark Stoops have a 51 million dollar buyout? I <sighs> if John Calipari got a kick in to fire him too?
4: Just give me one that's all I'm saying Dude, Mark. Problem. Come on man. Again, Brooks Austin you can follow at Brooks Austin BA SI Foundation's Director of Recruiting Dogs Daily Lead Editor. Always love having Brooks on. Thanks man. We appreciate it
0: it out boys y'all be good thank you and
4: we will continue the college football discussion up next we'll go into some heisman talk right after this on sharp money
1: there are some things that are too good to keep a secret like how your amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip i'd like to check into the centurion lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables Ooh, yum and how you get the most out of select can't miss events
2: This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VCN, the Sports Betting Network. Before
4: you make your next bet, be sure to visit VCN.com and check the current betting splits data. Want to know where the money and bets are moving every game? The betting splits page is updated with DraftKings odds every five minutes, so you can see changes in all the action. Find out where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match the public opinion. You can check out not only today's action, but future events as well. Betting splits are another way VCN is here to make you a smarter, better year-round. Check out today's betting splits for every game at vsin.com. Certainly seemed like a whole lot of people were on the Denver Broncos last night. Broncos covering against the Bills, and that's where we start here as we welcome in our pal Tim Jenkins, film analyst, quarterback, trainer, who will uh, help help us break down them all. The the curious case now, recently at least, of QB Josh Allen leads the league in turnovers, INTs. What are you seeing when you watch the tape, uh, Tim, of a Josh Allen-led Bills team that continue to struggle now, basically 500
10: yeah, I, so I think people are were a little panicked about Josh, right? I think a lot of people are, like, really kind of you know uh, maybe overreacting a little bit. I think ultimately it's no different than you saw. The tape isn't different. As he got, remember, he struggled early on in his NFL career, and then he got better. It wasn't the tape didn't change. It wasn't like hey, Josh went from trying to force a you know middle of the field open post into a cover three shell. It wasn't like those stopped. He just started completing them. Right. If we're being honest about his game, it wasn't, hey, all of a sudden he's really changing how he plays. He's been the same player. He's just progressively gotten better and he's fitting them into tighter windows. And I think what we're seeing a little bit of is we're still making some aggressive decisions, which I would never want to take out of his game. And then we're also seeing some unfortunate breaks. Right. Like that first post. Um, or the post that he tries to fit in that then bounces off his guy's hands and, and Justin Simmons intercepts, like that, that, how, that's not really on our quarterback, right? Hey, you throw a good football, you throw it in tight coverage. We've got to go make a play. So I think what we're seeing is we're seeing a situation where if you look at the bills, you can say about their offense, our quarterback is still playing aggressive and these decisions that in the past have been 50, 50 decisions or 70, 30 decisions in the positive are actually reversed now, right? We're like, 30% success rate and 70% of the time it's a turnover-worthy play or something. And we're still 500, which to me feels really good, right? Because at some point, those stop bouncing off your receiver's chest and they start getting caught, and then you're winning games by 14 again versus losing them by two after you had 12 guys on the field and a field goal block.
5: Tim, with the change now from uh, Ken Dorsey as the offensive coordinator to James Brady, the quarterback's coach, as a former quarterback yourself, how much of an impact does that have on you, not only just from a play-calling standpoint but a mental standpoint, right? Because there's a certain element of you you have to feel like you're responsible for Dorsey being out of a job.
10: Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt, man. They're like, you take that super personally, right, as, as Michael Jordan would say. But, I, you know, I having your quarterback coach do it is – you get a little bit closer to it because he's the guy, and you guys know the NFL. It's all it's quarterback driven. So the OC spends 90% of his time in that quarterback room, but there's also another 10% of the time, right, where he's going down to the O line, or he's going to the backs, or he's going to the receivers. So it's not 100% of the time. Whereas your quarterback guy, man, you're grinding your reads 100% of the time with him. So you do get a little bit closer. Obviously, Josh, you know, feels like hell, right, that they're having to make that switch um i also you're going from a guy you guys remember how, how many years ago was it that he was the hottest candidate on planet earth yeah. right to come be a coordinator or come be a head coach and then all of a sudden he kind of fell off a little bit after carolina which i don't know who could have made carolina right when you know when he was the oc there but then you know i, I, I think in terms of when we see these kind of changes he might be the most qualified guy that we've seen elevated um, in, a, in a team that, that's going to make a playoff run.
4: And so Joe Brady now in her MOC in Buffalo and a lot of other interesting quarterback situations around the league here, Tim. is You can follow Tim at T Jenkins Elite. One game of film now in the books for quarterback Kyler Murray in Arizona with his return. Admittedly, super small sample size. Advanced numbers not super kind to Murray. Negative 8.2 completion percentage over expectation. But again, only, what, 40 snaps or so for Murray in his debut against the Falcons. What did you see when you watched the tape?
10: Kyler is uh, another guy that is just like Josh that we talked about, where his style of football, it's he's going to go out there, he's going to be creative. He's going to maybe generate some shot plays that aren't scripted, right, aren't paper football. You're not, you're not calling in, hey, drop back. I want you to run around for three seconds and then fire this thing on the post. But he's going to do it uh, simultaneously. It's, it's, it's part of when when he struggles. Now, listen, they won. I think he's one of those guys that – to me, it's, it's so hard to coach because you want – when you're calling a play-in, you're not calling it in for a worst-case scenario. You're calling it in to work, right? Hey, I call an F-ship to either throw the, throw the ship or throw the collect shallow, right? That's why I'm calling it in. Then you have a quarterback who can create something out of nothing, but it's really hard to coach those guys because there's certain times where you're like, man, just hit your back foot and throw to the first progression, it's open. But part of those guys not throwing in the first progression and spinning out of there is what makes them great. So, Kyler, I think we saw a game in which he played really efficient football, played great football within his style. Uh, He's also one of those guys that it's inevitable. There's going to be a week that we're going to all jump on here together. We're going to be like, hey, Kyler Murray, you know, turn the ball over five times because uh, those (laughs) those spin outs and runarounds turned into, uh, you know, turnovers versus bouncing our direction. So, he is one of those guys that I think it's harder to – Give a true evaluation of week in and week out because there are times where you guys, you know, you turn on the tape and you go, man, why did you not throw to your first progression who's wide open? And then he extends the play and he generates a 30-yard completion versus, you know, the six-yard hitch. And I'm sure as an OC, you're happy about that, but you're also like kind of pissed that, man, we got to just take what's there. Tim, you
5: tutored uh, P.J. Walker, who played at Temple, and he plays for the Cleveland Browns currently. Uh, He came in just for a brief play against the Ravens on Sunday. Now, Deshaun Watson is expected to play in Week 11. But what is the preparation like for a backup quarterback in that situation, even though you're not expected to play? There's a strong possibility, though, you might get in the game if for some reason Deshaun can't be as effective as he was last weekend against the Baltimore Ravens now playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, whose defense can put a lot of pressure on a quarterback and what kind of mobility they have.
10: Yeah, I mean, I could give you guys the political answer first, which is, oh, he's going to prepare the same each yeah, week, yeah. but I could give you guys the honest answer, which is a freaking nightmare, right? Because you have the starter who they're going to push reps-wise, right? They're pushing, hey, we, we everybody wants your starting quarterback out there, so when you're in a situation like this, they push the reps to the starter, you know, 95-5, to five, but then they're also sitting there like, hey, did you see that look? And it's like, yeah, I saw it. I didn't take it, right? So it's like, It's a nightmare as a quarterback, especially then when you go face a defense that you can whoever we want to say calls plays in Pittsburgh or does whatever we can say. But you guys know that is a Tomlin stamped team every single year. They are going to heat your ass up. And if you're a quarterback, (laughs) the hardest thing to be ready for is pressure, right? That the easiest thing is if I can go in there and you're going to drop seven or drop eight every time and I can hit my progression just like it is on paper. So easy as a backup quarterback. When it comes to, you know, hey, we need to reallocate the mic, right? We need to not mic the mic. We're going to mic the Sam because I need to make this protection right because guess what? You guys bring nickel pressure from the boundary more than anybody in the league. And then, oh, okay, now, okay, I've got my boundary settled up. Now i got to look to the field and i got to give him a backside break off just in case the free safety comes. Like those kind of things are what you rep a ton of in walkthroughs and you rep a ton of in practice. Well, when you're the backup, and rightfully so, we got to push that to the starter. But then you get thrown in the game, and it's like the amount of mic manipulation you have to do against the Pittsburgh Steelers, meaning like you don't actually mic the middle linebacker. You mic somebody else so your protection is sound. The amount you have to do that is probably double than when you face a normal NFL team. And then when you do that, you have to change everyone else's sights and how to just, it's part of the reason why – you know how sometimes you guys – we turn on the tape and you go, we got a young quarterback in there. And for some reason, they brought a free safety – and the receiver didn't look, and the quarterback just got hit in the back. That's on the quarterback. He probably manipulated the mic, right, Mike to Sam, and then forgot to give a backside break off. And when he does that, guess what? You get your, you know, you get rocked, and, and nobody's looking for you. So, to me, it's like those are the things that we don't fully give credit to, like, as a, you know, as, as fans and everything when we watch, because when you go to a team like Pittsburgh, it's tough, and especially on a limited rep perspective, now, listen, I guess that Cleveland is going to manipulate those reps so that PJ gets probably a ton during like blitz and adjust period because you have to have him ready for it. And Deshaun, you know, has a season of reps, um, but that is kind of the biggest, the biggest hurdle in getting ready as a backup when you go face these teams that will Will heat you up. That's a great breakdown.
4: Make sure you check out Tim's YouTube channel, All Things QB, at T Jenkins, elite quarterback trainer and film analyst, joining us right now on Visa's Sharp Money. Tim, we appreciate the breakdowns. That line in particular, Steelers Browns, we'll talk about in a second. will be fascinating to watch how it evolves throughout the week. But thank you again for stopping by here on Sharp Money.
10: I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much.
4: Absolutely. Hey, you have a line four for four and a half of all. It's been a division this year where you just kind of blindly take dogs in the AFC North. You're hitting at a very high rate. Could you get there, though, with Pittsburgh this week?
7: Yeah, I think you
5: can. Defense is playing better. Look, uh, Jordan Love presented some challenges. They didn't play great offensively. But you know I thought the Browns didn't look great on offense either. They had a Newsome uh, pick six for a touchdown against Lamar Jackson. This is a good football team in terms of the Browns. But offensively, Deshaun Watson has not been able to flip the switch to what he was in Houston. And I don't know if you can get Kenny Pickett to give you consistent 60 minutes. That's the bigger issue there. Sure. I give the Browns the edge, but no way with my lay in four and a half with the Browns here.
4: If someone offered you a prop, Steelers will get out yarded in every game and make the playoffs. Would you bet it?
5: You would because Mike Tomlin's the coach. Exactly.
4: I would love to see that bet, what that price would be. All right, it's a big night in college basketball. Three top 25 v top 25 matchups. We'll break them down next.